All right, legends, welcome back to yet another episode of Get Around Me, okay? What a time it is to be alive, truly. 2-0 up in this Ashes series. It's another Ashes recap from yours truly, Australia's greatest road dog. No, do not look at Luke Kidgel's tour schedule. I'm telling you, I am in fact Australia's greatest road dog. But we're not here to talk about my artistic exploits. We're here to talk about the second Ashes test, dude, because Jesus Christ, there was a lot going on out there, okay? We're here to tackle the issues one by one, and they will be... And, you know, some journalists, they tackle they tackle the issues, and it, it's sort of a... The sort of regulation tackle where a rugby league game would not be interrupted by it, okay? It's the sort of tackle where the set of six would just continue going because the tackle was completely legal. Luckily for me, I am not a journalist, and so I will just be applying various forms of shoulder charges, hip drops, and grass cuts on these topics. I will be I will be talking from a place of emotion, okay? There will be times where facts will slip through my fingers as I recap this test, okay? There will be times where you're thinking, hang on a minute, Bill. If we look at the information and the evidence provided, maybe your thoughts on this are a little bit missing the mark. Maybe you're a little bit left of center. Maybe you're letting uh, your personal feelings impact the way you are recapping this test match. And so I'd just like to get out in front of that and say, that's exactly what I'll be doing, dude. Okay. If you want accurate takes, go listen to some guy with some beautiful salt and pepper in his hair, sitting behind a neon desk on one of the more reputable networks. Okay. Here at Get Around Me, we will be swinging from the hip and really just taking down this test match one issue by one issue because there was just so many things happening during this game. Just so many things. This whole series, every time you think, okay, the game is going in a normal way. I can sort of see what's happening here. Something weird as fuck happens and we're sort of back to square one. So I'm going to try to break down some of my thoughts on this game as best as I can. But for one man, I mean, you could really do like a 45-minute podcast on each day of this test match. There was so much happening. But anyway, I'm just going to sort of crack in chronologically and and attempt to make sense of, of what is happening here. You know, did Australia cheat their way to victory? Were we in front of the game pretty much the whole time and won due to the fact we're better at cricket than England? I mean, it could go either way. Personally, the result's the same. So I don't have the biggest allegiance to either scenario. As long as we continue to win by any means necessary, it's all good in the hood as far as this young comedian is concerned. But let me get into this bloody test match. Firstly, obviously, huge issue, probably number one talking point from the whole game. Aaron Finch and Callum Ferguson's dressing attire in the studio. Uh, A mess from day one, a calamity from which they struggled to recover. Dude, Aaron Finch kind of looks like a big W stock photo up there, you know? It's kind of like when we're coming into summer and it's like smart casual looks for dad. And he's wearing those boat shoes from Big W where you get like two pairs for 12 bucks and the colors from each shoe don't match. You know, it's like it's like cream and green and like red and white. And it's like you should have mixed up the colors the other way. I don't know. They, the pants he's wearing appear to be like a 42 waist and they're, they're like way too long for him or something. He's wearing mismatched blazers. Callum Ferguson is dressed equally as egregiously, but... 
He's a bit better looking old cow, so I'm willing to let it go. But I'm really uncertain what's happening with who's dressing the boys in the studio. Poor Finchy is having a tough time. I, I'm not. I'm not loving Aaron Finch's broadcasting, and and that's nothing personal because I love Finchy, dude. Okay, he led this country for a great amount of time. Unfortunately, this thing where broadcasters in this nation appear to just look at when hiring a broadcaster, they just look at the person's actual sporting record, regardless of whether they can sort of speak coherently or provide any sort of opinions or context to the game that the viewer couldn't otherwise glean themselves. This whole thing where, you know, a wicket happens and then we whip to the studio where Aaron Finch is standing there awkwardly in some sort of a cotton-on get-up and then he just describes word for word exactly what happened without any sort of extra commentary or or thoughts and then we get back into the action. Uh, it just seems like a pretty wild waste of money from Channel 9. But nevertheless, uh, I'm really struggling with this studio thing as far as where is Sock? Where is Steve O'Keefe? I thought he was absolutely phenomenal during the first test match. Uh, he's much better looking than Finchie, which obviously doesn't matter. But at the same time, it does matter pretty much more than anything else. So I'm not sure if we need to get Finchie one of those neon desks that he can sit behind. Maybe I understand you can't smoke cigarettes in the studio, but maybe we could just let him hold one. He seems to be having a tough time knowing what to do with his hands. I think we should get this man a desk or a Winnie Blue cigarette. Let's just get Finchie something, whether it be a better get-up, some, some trendy glasses. You know how often media guys will wear some Oscar Wiley frames just to sort of you know, give, them, give their look a bit, bit more vavum, as it were. But really struggling with Finchie. And then, again, nothing personal against the great man. Uh, I have a lot of... I love Finchie, okay? I love Finchie. But I'm, I'm struggling with the studio setup. Then you take out the fact that they've got rid of Steve O'Keefe for some reason. That is beyond me. I'm hoping that was a logistical issue. And then you couple that with the fact that Ishigua is not on the televised broadcast. It's actually quite stressful viewing uh, for someone like me. Uh, my anxiety is through the roof. I, I do have a condition where I do need to hear Ishigua's voice at least once a week or I will have a panic attack. Okay, And I have a letter from my doctor. So anyone who thinks I'm kidding around right now, you can see what Dr. Lang said, and I've got it in his writing, that every single time there's a test match in England, if I don't hear Ishigua's voice at least once per day of cricket played, I will actually have a panic attack. So a few things to work out on the media side, but then we actually get into the game of cricket itself, which was a good game, okay? Yes, England lost and Australia won, but it was a pretty ripping game of cricket, dude, okay? I liked it a lot. Davey Warner on day one, he's back. Did he ever leave? Well, yeah, dude, he, he's, he did leave for quite a while, okay? He popped back in for that double hundred. That was kind of like, oh my God, dad's home. But then he was just, he forgot his car keys, you know, and he popped back out. So Davey Warner's back and I called it last episode, David Warner must play all five test matches this series, almost regardless of results at this stage. Because whether you think, firstly, I don't think there's anyone in waiting who could do a better job than Warner. But also, even if there was, I don't think anyone's going to try harder than Dave Warner. He's trying so fucking hard out there. And he's, he's fired up. Him and Uzi did a great job on day one. I love it, okay? If you guys want to send Matt Renshaw out into that cauldron of competition, I mean, good luck. When Renshaw was filled in, he kind of looked like a make-a-wish kid whose final, whose final wish was to stand at deep point and let anyone who hits the ball remotely near him just really help themselves to two runs without any threat of a run out whatsoever. So 
I think Davey Warner, love to see him getting a few runs. Stay in there, Davey, you son of a bitch, okay? I love you, okay? He's got he's, he's old, his career is fading, he's on his last life, but he's still got so much cunning in him that I, I, I'm loving it, okay? So keep it up, Davey. A lot of stuff going on. That uh, guy, James Tongue, who I pretty recklessly uh, sort of dismissed in last week's podcast episode, just by virtue of the fact that I haven't seen him personally bowl before. And while that, you might be thinking, well, Bill, just because you've never seen him bowl before doesn't mean he's not a good bowler. You're obviously forgetting the fact that the world, not only the world of cricket, but the world itself does revolve around my thoughts and opinions at any given time. So I said he sucked last week, which to me, that was my truth, okay? Regardless of any stats or evidence whatsoever, in my heart, in my soul, as a living being on this celestial plane, my truth was that James Tongue sucked. Since seeing him bowl, he's he's actually pretty bloody dangerous. I think we'd all agree. Those balls to Kawaja and Warner in the first session were nothing to sneeze at, okay? Nothing to sneeze at at all. Jesus Christ, I'm just reliving them now. They were quite sickening, those deliveries. A couple of the Pommy commentators have been saying James Tong in some sort of a upper-class backdoor deal to make his last name seem less embarrassing than it is. But I can assure you it's pronounced Tongue, okay? I will concede that he is a, a pretty bloody good bowler. He gets them through. He's hooping them around. He hasn't done anything that would lead me to believe he's a particular, he's, you know, a big piece of shit or anything like some of the other players. So it's all good stuff. I will draw the line at pronouncing his name Tong. Okay. It is Tongue. So we'll leave that there. He bowled well. We looked pretty good. I will say maybe the funniest moment of the whole test match for me in a game where those climate protesters ran out, uh, we had legitimate cheating in some people's eyes. We had pretty much everything going on. I think by far the funniest thing that happened in this test match was watching Ollie Robinson bowl to Travis Head in the first innings on day one. Watching Ollie Robinson bowl 115 kilometers an hour, short and wide to Travis Head, I was I couldn't breathe. I was rolling around on the floor. I just when like the fifth one went to the boundary, it's like, mate, you could bowl 140 Ks, good length swing in at leg stump and Travis Head would still hit this through point for four. But the fact that you're legitimately coming in, bowling backwards, short outside off stump to the man with the most aggressive bottom hand in the history of cricket. I'm working on a theory that Travis Head is actually 5% Sri Lankan and that 5% begins at his left left wrist and ends at his left fingertips, okay? The amount of fucking subcontinental whip in this guy's bottom hand is absolutely unbelievable. And the fact that you're going to run in, bowl and kanga cricket, tripe outside off, while also being by far the biggest cunt on the field. It was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I couldn't believe it, dude. Like, but I, like I get it. Maybe you bowl, you bowl one bad ball. Maybe you bowl two. But to bowl like multiple, multiple deliveries outside off to Travis Head, it's pretty much like a free... It's like $200 when you pass go for Travis Head. I mean, I couldn't believe it. It was, it was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life, dude. So that was good times. Uh, at one point, they had the, the camera on Mitchell Stark and they were saying how Stark, he's actually a pretty good bat. He's got a test 99 and... And then I think it was Atherton said it was, or Kevin Peterson said it was one of the biggest regrets of the late, great Shane Warne. 
And I thought they were going to say Warney's big regret was how much he trashed Starkey endlessly. <laughs> but they were actually referring to the fact that Warney, his highest test score was also 99, and he never got a test century. Okay, so I thought there was going to be maybe a sort of a bit of a a healing moment for Mitch Stark as, as we all agreed that, hey, potentially the King did not miss, but at the same time, Shane Warne's treatment of Mitchell Stark was at times potentially unfair. But yeah, what else happened in this first innings? What do we get? I should have got the scores up in front of me, actually. That's what I should do. That would make a lot of bloody sense. Just going to wing this whole thing. I think we got about 350 in the first innings, I want to say. I remember Cammy Green's shot in the first innings was pretty bloody unfortunate. And I played a similar shot in a fifth grade trial some some years ago. I, you know, you think this spinner rolls in. You think this is short. I'm just going to put this wherever I want to. Then it's a bit fuller than you think. All of a sudden, you've just sort of popped it straight up. It's all pretty embarrassing. Uh, as we all know, it doesn't really matter how Cam Green goes with the bat because he's so tall. Okay, if you, if I think anyone who's ab- above the height of sort of six foot four, you can pretty much just fail endlessly with the stick, and we don't really care because of the aforementioned height that you have. So, so that's all good. What we get four sixteen in the first innings. That's all good stuff. England came out. I got to say, Ben Duckett, I hate you. I hate you. I'm coming around, you son of a bitch, okay? Ben Duckett, dude, this guy, this kid can play. He's got, like I said, he does have a very annoying face. I look at his face and it annoys me, hence the description. But this kid can play. And one for 188, you want to talk about really just taking the gas. The thing with England is like, I don't know, dude, like, I feel like Bazball is so good, but it doesn't seem like they can really play it for more than three hours without something catastrophic happening, you know? Harry Brook, 50 off 68, like, that was sick. It's all good stuff. And then they just sort of take the gas for no reason, you know? We did the uh, we did the whole bowling short balls. This test match would have been so different if even one player on either team knew how to duck. My God, if e- if even just one out of the available 22 players who picked up a stick had even heard of ducking, let alone could execute it, my God, what a completely different game of cricket we'd be playing right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, Harry Brook, the optics on Harry Brook just backing away and getting caught at like, I guess, deepish cover. It's like, I don't even know what that was really. And... It just looked horrific. You know, you're better off getting inside it, getting caught at deep backward square. At least then some of these freaking, these English, what's the word I'm looking for? Purists up in the, in the media box. At least they can go, well, he 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 did the, the appropriate footwork that I learned in a manual in 1943, so I can't fault him too much there. But if you get caught stepping the opposite way that a wisdom cricket manual from 1917 would instruct you to do, then all of a sudden, it's one of the worst things that's ever happened to Test cricket. So, yeah, hard to read this whole baseball thing. I love how, like, the English media, the English media are meaner to England than we are. It's very, it's very weird. Like, Ben Duckett, after he got this 98, I was listening to the Test Match special, and the journalist was like, do you think you guys playing shots like that is fair to the punters who have paid 150 quid for a ticket? Basically saying their shots were so reckless uh, that they were basically betraying the paying audience and ripping off the respective punters. 
in what is got to be one of the more dramatic takes I've ever heard. Um, but yeah, so one for 188. We bowl him out for 325. Mitch Stark. Mitch Stark is so good and so bad at the same time that it, it, it's very hard to read because just when you think he might be the worst player in the game, he will just bowl something absolutely face-melting. And he sort of fought back here. He ended up with three for. So that's not too bad at all there, Starkey. I'm not, I'm not too mad at that. Uh, but yeah, what have I forgot to talk about here? There's just too much to talk about with this game. It's, it's more than one man could handle, really. Obviously, Smudge was just absolutely phenom in that first innings. Nothing too funny there. Lion blew his calf out in his 100th test match in a row. That sucks, okay? I'm going to move past both of those just because, like, there's nothing really very funny about either. And I am going to attempt to be mildly humorous about this game. But the second innings, Usman Kawaja. Again, there's nothing humorous about this, dude. There is nothing humorous about this. But I will continue to bask in the glory of Usman, okay? I just, I've got a freaking Usman poster above my bed, and it just makes me feel so warm and safe when I go to sleep. I don't even sleep with a doona on. Do you know what keeps me warm at night? Usman's gaze, okay? So very excited for the great man. I think he's averaging about a million in this series, and it's all good stuff. So I will say, if I could be negative for a second about this game, which pretty much had everything, I would argue that the pitch again was kind of on the slow side, okay? I know there was a bit of grass on it day one, and... I think that's the thing with all these bumpers. So that's what we're coming up to here. So we did pretty well. Usman's going great. We then lost seven for 100 via this like two sessions of just crazy bumpers. Like pretty much as close to body line as you could get. You know, people people say body line was the field setting. But really, I mean, how is it not body line to be bowling six bounces and over? I'm not sure. I will say that even though I love bumpers, I think it's like the sickest part of cricket. I love seeing blokes getting chinned as long as they're okay afterwards, of course. Stuart Broad getting chinned in that first innings. Good, brave stuff from him. It's all exciting, dude. I will say that watching medium-paced bowlers bowl medium-paced bumpers on a medium-paced deck and sort of bouncing before the keeper in the first session of the first day, stuff's, stuff's really going through to the keeper at about knee height. Like, I don't really care if you guys want to make a green top or a flat track, but can we just get something to bounce a bit more? Can we get just a little bit quicker in these decks? I mean, Jimmy Anderson, you wouldn't even know he's played the first two tests. He's so ineffective on these things. And then, obviously, Lyon was injured, but it's like the last day, there's just nothing in the deck, dude. I'd rather a pitch just like full Indian day five, Whatever that test match was where it was completely reprehensible, the wicket. I'd rather watch that than just this lifeless sort of strip of cardboard and nothing's happening. Like, And we're just watching bumpers go through it, sort of chest height, bouncing before the keeper. It's all, um, it's just boring. Like, I don't really enjoy it that much. Um, it's also, nothing's enjoyable when you know what's going to happen. If, if, if the bowler's at the top of his mark and I know exactly what he's going to bowl, for the next six balls. Well, it's like, what's the point of me watching, mate? Do you know what I mean? It's a Saturday night. I'll just go out on the lash and you can just tell me how it went when I wake up. You know? So I, the whole bouncer thing is a bit fucking by the by. 
I thought it was a bit funner when Australia did it because it was a genuine tactic that we were taking on out of nowhere. But again, I think, to be fair to both captains, I think there was nothing else they could really do because the pitch was so fucking dead, you know? If neither team really had a spinner in the end, we we really basically got three days of sort of slowish bounces on a completely irrelevant strip of turf. And, and then batsmen at the other end who apparently had never, ever seen a ball above waist height before in their life. Blokes are just hitting it straight to deep backward square and walking off going like, what was that? What was that just then? Oh my, is that even legal? That went above my waist. So it was all very bizarre. Um, and it wasn't that great to watch, but we were in front, so I didn't really give a fuck. But yeah, it was kind of weird. Uh, and then Lion comes out to bat on one leg, which is pretty cool. I mean, like I said, if either team could play a bouncer, the fact that we only set them 370 to win in the fourth innings, like really, this game was such a good game, but really, it should have been a complete blowout for Australia. Like, we blew our second innings and still set them 370 to win. If, If we batted even sort of okay on day four, we should have set them like 550. It should have been an absolute shutout. And Nathan Lyon, extremely courageous, obviously. I mean, no one loves Nathan Lyon more than me. I was watching it. It was a pretty tough watch. It felt like every time he moved, I was just like, that's another two weeks. We'll be seeing this guy in 2024 at this stage. It looked horrific. But I will say, when he came off and got that standing ovation walking through the long room, it was it was pretty red-hot stuff. You know, I did enjoy that quite a bit. So fair play to Lyon. An extra 15 runs, which I guess kind of mattered in the end. And good on him, you know. Anytime someone comes out injured, it's fucking sick, really. But then England come out to bat and Starkey decides to play some cricket, which is awesome. If you've ever get if you ever get the chance to see Mitch Stark try his best, it is fucking cool, dude. My God. It's the sort of thing you never know when it's gonna happen. It's like when you just you go out to the pub every weekend and then one weekend like the hottest chick ever just starts talking to you out of nowhere and she seems keen even though you haven't really said anything. And you're just there going, fuck yeah, I'll have a bit of this. I mean, why not? I don't know why it's happening, but I'm going to enjoy it, okay? And that's the same thing when Mitch Stark um, tries his best at cricket. You don't know why it's happening, but just sit back and enjoy it. And that ball he bowled to Ollie Pope was absolutely face-melting stuff. And I don't know, I don't know why he did it, I don't know why he doesn't do it more, but it's so cool when he does. So good on you, Starkey. Um, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with the bowlers in the third test, because I guess you could maybe drop Hazelwood for Boland if you want. I don't know. It's all very by the by with our bowlers because they're all absolute guns, and we can't really seem to work out why anything is happening for any reason, really, during these test matches. So, who cares? On to the next as far as the bowlers are concerned. Uh, what do we got here? So, Starkey got a couple of wickets. Yeah, Brooke. That was great stuff from Cummins. I love how Cummins bowls himself so much as captain because he is the best bowler. And you could tell when there's big moments in the game, he gives himself the ball straight away, and I actually froth on it. I just think it's so cool. I think he's so cool. 
I think the way it's going, it's going to be Warney and Cummins. And then uh, it'll be Bradman, Ponting and Steve Smith. That'll be like our Mount Olympus or whatever you want to say. But it's just crazy. The some of the players in our team at the moment. I can't even wrap my stupid head around it. But anyway, let's get into some of this freaking controversy on the last day. Oh, yeah. So Bearstow gets run out. And this is a big issue, apparently. Okay. So let's rip into this. I was watching it live. Uh, I watched pretty much the whole of the fifth day. And yeah, so Bearstow walks out of his crease. Kerry throws the stumps down. It's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. See you later. I think the optics on it are poor because it's like the most crucial moment of like the most crucial game of the most crucial series. So it's like if this happened in the first innings and England were like three or sorry, four for like 400, I mean, probably no one really gives a fuck because I understand how people would say he wasn't attempting a run, but at the same time, Kerry didn't hesitate he got the ball straight away and threw it straight at the stumps so for me the ball is still live it gets all a bit hazy when is the ball live when is it dead is it in purgatory is the ball trans how does the ball feel about this you know it's there's a lot going on and i think the problem with this stuff is whenever one of these things comes up like starkey's catch it becomes apparent that even though we all confess or profess i should say to love cricket Whenever one of these things comes up, it becomes quickly clear that none of us actually have any clue what the fucking rules of this game are, okay? I don't know. I tried to Google them. I went on the, the MCC website. Unfortunately, because I've had more than three routes in my life, I was not able to log in and access the laws of the game. Uh, so really, couldn't, couldn't get any more info there. And I'm not really that interested in it, you know. I could investigate this further and see who's in the right, who's in the wrong. At the end of the day, whether this is right or wrong, the outcome suits my personal agenda, okay? I don't like Bearstow and I wanted him out in that moment. So for me, I'm all about it, okay? I don't feel the need to investigate any further. Uh, any, I don't need closure on who's right and who's wrong. Happy to move on. I will say that I think... I don't think the ball was dead because Kerry threw it straight away. And here's the thing. I used to bat out of my crease quite a bit as an opening batsman. You know, I mean, no, this isn't going to come as a surprise to anyone here. But I, me as a cricketer, yeah, I'd get in your face. I'd get on the front foot, you know, Baz ball. They were calling it Bill ball back in the day as I eked out sort of various scores uh, at a strike rate of 35. But, you know, I'd bat out of my crease all the time, get on the front foot. I remember one time we were playing Eastern Suburbs in second grade and I was up the other end with the umpire, even though I was I was facing up and the umpire said, what are you doing at this end? You're supposed to be on strike. I said, mate, I'm taking center, okay? I'm on the front foot. I'm in your face, all right? I'm bloody, I'm kissing you on the lips as you fucking let go of this thing. I'm so far down the track, brother, okay? So, and here's the thing. When I used to bat out of my crease, you can't just stand, like once the ball's, you know, the ball goes outside off stump, I leave it because that's what my wisdom cricket manual from 1917 told me to do. And then you put your bat back in the crease. You don't just stand out two meters down the wicket, milling around, you know, checking your crypto folder or some shit, okay? You do have to just be in the crease. So if I was batting out of my crease and the wicket keeper threw down the stumps, I'd be out. 
So I don't understand why if the keeper does the exact same thing and this stupid ginger prick walks out of his crease, why that wouldn't be out, okay? And I get it because it was such a crucial moment in the game that sort of the optics are a bit poor on this. And I don't know, dude. I This whole spirit of the game thing is just like... The spirit of the game is just like this, <laughs> this concept where we're all sort of... No one ever talks about it until something doesn't go their way. You know, the winning team never talks about the spirit of the game. So it's just sort of this esoteric concept. It's this ideal, you know, it's like WG Grace's ghost coming up with a walking stick, you know, patting you on the back for upholding the ideals of this colonial game. I'm not sure what it is, okay? As long as you're not, you know... I get man-catting is not in the spirit of the game, if, if you ask me. This is a bit dodgy. I could see if you're an England fan, you'd be furious. I think whether you think it's right or wrong that Johnny Bairstow was run out, whether you think it was right or wrong, I think we can all agree that Alex Carey did nothing wrong and that Bairstow's a bit of a fucking idiot for walking out of his crease, okay? Whether the dismissal should have been upheld, you cannot deny that Carey did nothing wrong and Bairstow is just an absolute space cadet for doing this. And the look on Bearstow's face when he got run out wasn't the look of, oh, what's happening? You shouldn't be doing that. That was a that was a that was a, a little ginger prick with his hand in the cookie jar for mine. You know, his eyes sort of went wide and you could tell he knew he fucked up. Okay. So I'm not sure. Yeah, take take what you want from that. Again, because it doesn't suit my agenda, I don't really feel the need to investigate any further. The booing. Oh, so then the booing started. Okay. Oh, so that's, yeah. So this sort of leads into the next controversy of the day that everyone's booing everyone all the time. And I think with the English, I don't know, the the whole sandpaper thing with the English, to be honest, lads, it happened in South Africa against South Africa like four years ago, four or five years ago. So I don't know why the English seem to take this so personally. We go to New Zealand, they don't boo us. And I will say that I actually don't even mind the crowd going fucking nuts after this decision because I get it, okay? If I was in the crowd and I was some stupid pom and and that happened to, to our ginger prick, yeah, I get it. I get the anger. I'm way more offended by like first inning, Steve Smith walks out to bat at Lords and they boo him. Do you know what I mean? You're basically booing Don Bradman. Not to get too overdramatic here, but it's like this guy's literally a living legend of the game. Might be the last time he ever walks out to bat at Lords. Last test match he ever plays at Lords. One of the all-time, literally just greatness walking across the field and you're going to boo him before he's even got out there. That offends me way more than anything that happened after the Bearstow incident. Because at least the Bearstow incident, I can see the rationale behind the booing. For you to just boo Steve Smith in the first innings when he hasn't even got out there, that's just like toxic, brother, you know? That's just like, I don't know. That's just like counting your roots when you're 28, you know? that's like, Yeah, it's like a 29-year-old guy who still, still counts his roots. That's you booing Steve Smith for no reason. I don't like it. And it just doesn't pass the pub test of like, I, just my gut feel on that is like, it's not good. Uh, and then when the boys were walking in to the long room for lunch or tea or whatever, and there was that confrontation with Uzi, 
That made my blood boil, okay? I was blazing away on the bamboo schooners. I thought, what is this strain I am smoking here? Because fucking hell, I felt like I was messed up when that happened. If anyone says a word against Uzi, and the optics are shit house on this, these these freaking rich old Monopoly men having a go at our one Muslim player, the optics are horrific on this dude. And I just, I was seeing red. I want to put my fist straight through this old cunt's face, okay? I hated it. I hate it so much. And I want to read out these blokes' names. They've been suspended by the MCC. I mean, you just can't even... You can't even script these names better than this. Bloody Freddy sent them to me. The blokes who got suspended for abusing Usman Khawaja and the players are Bartholomew Frinton-Smith, Humphrey Wigbert Porter, and Quinton Breckenridge. Okay? So these three Monopoly men, I don't know about suspension. They, they should have their membership revoked. They should be banned from the ground forever. And I don't know. I'm hearing a lot about it. I'm hearing a, a, about a lot of knife crime in London. So let's fire the streets up, okay? Let's, let's absolutely storm whatever gated community these stupid old pricks live in and put hands on these blokes, okay? I'm sorry to get so violent, but that's just how I feel, okay? It's absolutely ridiculous. You know, the only reason we put up with these stupid old pricks wearing their red and yellow ties and, oh, it's Lords, oh, it's the hallowed turf. We're, all, we're, all, we're going along with this whole myth that it's like the special grass and, oh, the slope, the slope. They act like the fucking stadium is on a 45-degree angle or some shit and that if you left a four-year-old unsupervised, they'd fall off the edge of this thing, okay? You know, we're, we're all in on this old, the fucking, the red and the yellow and the members... We're only going along with these stupid traditions because you guys sit there and shut the fuck up, okay? If you're going to carry on like cunts, then that's the end of that, okay? We've, 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 been, we've spent years listening to all this garbage about lords, and it was all fine because you guys were sitting there politely, and it was this whole idea that you guys are actually into the cricket. But if you're going to carry on like Bay 13 cunts, then, then fuck that dude, okay? Murph Hughes will leave a bata- he'll lead a battalion of fanatics straight into the long room, okay? And we'll be swinging first, asking questions later, you old cunts, okay? So that gets my blood boiling, and I, I just hated that whole incident. I really did. And what else have we got here? Ba-ba-ba, ba-da-ba-ba. Yeah, I, I just wrote here, just keep the tone upbeat. You know, it just it got pretty bloody toxic by the end of that game. And like I said, the booing after the Bearstow stuff, just the cheating Australian stuff, the convict stuff. I don't know. Like, I've never had a problem with it before, but I think everyone could tell that it just became a little bit too much uh, at the end of this game. And then we roll into Ben Stokes' innings. I watched the whole thing. It was unbelievable. Ben Stokes does this thing. Uh, this whole narrative that Ben Stokes was so pissed off about the Bearstow dismissal that he went like Super Sand mode and, oh, you don't want to piss off Ben Stokes. Don't anger Ben Stokes, mate. Hey, boys, better not back Ben Stokes into a corner. Hey, you won't like him when he comes out angry. You won't like Stokesy when he's angry. I, I do believe that he was just started slogging because the situation of the game dictated that he needed to pick up the pace, okay? I don't believe that it was some sort of, you know, rage quit revenge style attack because Bairstow's dismissal was in such, excuse me, in such violation of the spirit of the game 
that Ben Stokes was enraged to the point of hitting 150 off not many rocks. I don't. I think he just made a decision that Stuart Broad is really bad at batting, and everyone after him was even worse. So if they were going to get these runs, they're going to have to get them sooner rather than later. As far as our tactics to Ben Stokes during the game, I am not a cricket expert, but I don't think these were good tactics. <laughs> and I, I, here's the thing, dude. I was watching this. I honestly wasn't worried at all. Because we just had so many runs. And honestly, I was watching this going, doing the maths going, if we, for us to lose this game, Ben Stokes has to get 200 not out. Mate, if you get 200 not out in the fourth innings chasing 370, fine. You can have the game, okay? If you, if you get 200 not out in the fourth innings of a test match as captain and at Lords and lead your team to victory, Fine. You can have the game. Like, that's crazy, dude. It's fucking insane, you know? So I wasn't too stressed because, like I said, that's just such a ridiculous thing to think about. And I did think, I didn't mind us having everyone back because I did think one would go up in the air eventually. I will say, as far as, we had so many runs to play with that I did think we need to bring in the field on the fourth, on the fifth and sixth ball of the over. We didn't bowl Stuart Broad anywhere near enough during that partnership. I think they put on 100 and Stuart Broad faced like 16 balls for five. Like we've got to try and just be a bit more proactive there. Like I said, it didn't matter because we had so many runs. As far as, and again, because the pitch was so slow and there's just nothing doing in the pitch whatsoever. I mean, what is the point of a five-day test match in England? Because the pitch is just irrelevant so far in this series. I mean, there's not really much doing day one. The pitch doesn't really break up at all. It doesn't really bounce at all. It does, there's not a lot of sideways movement. It's just completely placid by the end of this thing. I mean, a, these day five pitches, it's like trying to maintain a healthy erection after like 27 beers and all the rest of it, you know? There's just nothing doing. It's just lifeless, you know? It's just limp. So... I do think it's kind of taking away from the fun of a day five because it's like, oh, it's so hard to score runs on day five of a test match. Chasing 370, it's pretty much impossible. Oh, he's just mishit like five sixes in a row. Okay. And we're just bowling. We're bowling short balls that weren't getting up at all. And then twice and over, we would bowl length at leg stump that Ben Stokes would then deposit into a different postcode. So... I don't know, dude. It's all pretty fucking entertaining. I'm enjoying it, if that's what you're looking for, okay? If you're trying to keep me up on a Sunday night, despite the fact I've been on the fucking gas for three days and I'm blazing myself senseless, I couldn't wait for us to get Stokes out, you know? I had people to people to see, places to be the next morning. And yeah, so as far as a bit of entertainment on the Lord's Day, as far as me staying up past my bedtime on a school night, yeah, I got plenty out of it from that perspective. As far as us almost trying our best to help Ben Stokes win, then yeah, there was plenty to talk about there as well. Um, obviously, we eventually got him out. Ollie Robinson got out like next over, and I went to bed after that. Um, the other funny thing about this period of the game was Ricky Ponting was about to have a fucking aneurysm in the commentary box. You know, it's like when a when a former fighter you you watch a, a guy who's been retired from fighting hit mitts for like yeah they haven't fought in ten years and you watch them hit pads. And you see that look in their eye. They have like a PTSD moment. 
they think they're fighting in Brazil in the early 2000s. And they start like screaming and sweating. That was Punter in the commentary box. He was just, he couldn't stop. Like he was so riled up and great work to whoever was on the ones and twos because Punter would be like, he hasn't scored any runs on the offside at all. And then bam, some absolutely autistic legend in the fucking van would go do 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 and bring up some graphic thing that said 98% of Ben Stokes' runs were all on the leg side. And Punter would just be, he'd, he'd be pretty much passed out from fucking anger. He'd be like, see, see, I fucking told you. I fucking, like, he's just going nuts, dude. So that was really fun. And like I said, all of this is happening. And I'm just looking at the 370 thinking, we've probably got enough anyway. And I think, honestly, like, if we had 80 less runs, we're probably fucked. Plus the fact we had that dodgy dismissal um, of that stumping. So, could have been a really different game. But, I don't know. I think there's a lot of different versions of that test match. But truly, I don't think there's a version where England wins. Just to be a bit of a prick about it. But from the moment they fucked uh, from 1 for 188 to just shooting themselves in the foot, game was ours, babe, okay? Uzi comes out in the second innings, fucking, it's decking around a bit, whatever, dude, okay? He's got fucking ice in his veins and a la on his side, so fuck off. We're marching towards victory. And, and that was that. So on to the third. few things here. What did I write? I got... Basball is waiting for the other team to blink, and we are not blinking. What a fucking poetic thought I wrote down this morning, hungover at 9am. Dude, let me get into that. Basball is waiting for the other team to blink, and we are not blinking. From my mind, out of my mouth, what does that mean? Well, I think it means that I'm sorry, this is weirdly schizophrenic, me trying to decipher my own thoughts. I'm actually, this is why I don't really podcast on Mondays, team, if I could be completely candid, okay? My rods and my cones are zigging when they should zag. I'm a little bit fucking fuzzy, and I'm trying my best. But I think this thing, what I'm trying to say is that basically, England are playing some great baseball, as it were, baseballing it up, you know? There's a Z in the name. That's how you know it's fun, Okay. They didn't call it Brendan Ball because that is not really sexy at all. But Baz Ball, there's a Z in there. What a sexy letter Z is. So I think the thing that's great about Baz Ball is it's so good and exciting and you put the opposition on the back foot. But I think the thing where Pakistan, New Zealand, Sri Lanka, West Indies, all these sort of second-rate nations that England have built their reputation on over the last 18 months... You know, where I come from, you go to New Zealand and beat them in a test match series. You don't tell the whole fucking world about it, okay? Jesus Christ. We go to New Zealand and beat them 2-0 in a test series. It doesn't even make the paper. England do it, and they've, they've got a fucking parade in Trafalgar Square, you know? There's, there's confetti and shit everywhere, and they've redefined cricket forever. But I think where all these sort of second-rate test-playing nations have been faltering, they've sort of been, you know, England go at like five and over, and... Pakistan and New Zealand start freaking out a bit and panicking. I think Pat Cummins is just going, well, whatever. We're still just going to keep trying to get you out. We're going to keep working at this. And especially when you got Nathan Lyon in our team, uh, which is obviously a horrific blow. But we're just not going anywhere. You know, it's like if I could, if I could cross code here, 
uh, Abus Magomedov in the main event on Sunday against Sean Strickland. Look great in the first round. In the second round, Strickland's not going anywhere, brother. Okay? He's, he's here for all five rounds. Meanwhile, Magomedov looks like he doesn't know how to spell treadmill, let alone know how to fucking turn one on. His cardio is that poor. And I think that's a pretty good analogy for what's happening here. We are Sean Strickland, okay? We're racist. We're sexist. We're, we're way too traditional. We're playing this game like it's still the 1800s. But guess what, dude? We're here to go five rounds. And England just aren't at the moment. And until they can wrap their stupid British heads around that, this is probably going to keep going the same way. So... I look forward to the rest of the game, uh, uh, rest of the series, I should say. Every game will have a result, so that's very exciting. And and yeah, I wrote down a few other things here about Bazball. Um, yeah, I don't know. Okay, I think I think the thing that I started listening to the Test Match Special podcast this week, which is really great, and I think the thing that became really just the English people are so dramatic, you know, like bef- before the series, during the series, we're hearing, wow, Basball's so great. And then Basball, they're still playing well. They're right in these games. But now Basball is the worst thing I've ever heard. I couldn't believe when that journalist asked Ben Duckett if he felt like he was ripping off the English punters who've, play- who've paid 150 quid to get into the ground. It's like two days ago, Basball was the sickest fucking thing you've ever seen, you know, pale guys with terrible teeth are just busting out of their own, their own freaking genes at the very, the very freaking, I'm too fired up. What is, what is the word when you listen to something at the hearing the word, you know, they're, they're frothing on basball. Then like 36 hours later, basball is the worst thing that's ever happened to English cricket. So I feel like, you know, English media and this whole basball thing, it's its like your mate who's always dating new chicks and getting new jobs. And it's like, mate, I got a new job. My boss is a legend. I'm making 80K. And you're like, wow, that's awesome. And then a week later, he's like, yeah, my boss is a piece of shit. I quit that job. I hate it. And you're like, okay, that's awesome too. You know, sometimes you've just got to fucking ride the ups and downs of life with a bit more grace. Uh, then these poms are sort of willing are willing to do at the moment. So, not sure. Don't care because we're up 2-0, okay? I don't know what the Daily Mail is reporting about this, but on Crick Info, if you click on the state of this series, it says Australia, and then next to the name of our country, there is a number that denotes the amount of wins we have. That number is two. Then if you just scroll right, you'll have the name of England, their country there, and next to their country's name is the number zero. So we're up 2-0. Get out of my fucking face, okay? The spirit of cricket isn't really a real thing. The laws of the game are. I don't have any idea what either of those two things are, even slightly, okay? I don't know the rules of cricket nor the spirit in which it is supposed to be played. And this is from one Australian fan to, uh, to every British person on the planet. I do not care, okay? Don't care about any of the talking points or headlines from this game whatsoever. The next test match is on in four days. I look forward to it. We are up 2-0. Shut the fuck up. Not here to discuss really anything that's happened over the last two weeks. And we will see you in Leeds 
you stupid cunts.